If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org. I mentioned that we have a number of guests today, a lot of family in uh, town, and I don't think anybody can top Linda and Eddie Walters. They're right here, and they have 16 family members here, a lot of them from California, is that right? Well, that's awesome. I knew something was up because they're not in their normal seat. You're usually over in this section. We're glad you folks are here. Uh, if you want to send back some of that little warmer weather when you get back home, that'd be nice too. But we're, we're glad that you folks are here. And I know there are a lot of other, uh, if, in fact, let's just take a little survey here. If, if you're here visiting some relatives today, would you raise your hand, let us see you? Oh, look, all over the building. That's awesome. Well, we're glad you folks are here. Um, Our ushers will pass the offering plate in front of you again before you leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not after that. If you have your Bibles, open them to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 9, and you'll notice the first three verse, the first three words are for this reason. Now, what is the reason he's about to speak? He just got a good report about the church in Colossae from Epaphras. He brought the word that the church was doing well. And as a result of that, Paul writes these words. Would you stand while I read God's word, beginning in verse 9? For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that people would commit themselves to following You this coming year and to realize who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. How was your last year? You may be like the man who when he was asked what he did during the French Revolution, simply said, I survived. Maybe you just survived. Maybe this wasn't the best year you've ever had. 
And so we come to this new year and a lot of you are already making resolutions. Not to discourage you, but Business Insider website states that 80% of resolutions, maybe they are revolutions, (laughs) for some it would be, 80% of all resolutions do not make it past the second week in February. So at least you got a month to try to keep it going. Some of us make resolutions like one man named George I heard about. He said to a friend, there's nothing like getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, going for a run around the park, and taking a brisk shower before breakfast. And his friend Bob said, well, how long have you been doing this, George? And he said, I start tomorrow. (laughs) How would you deem having a successful year? How are you going to know if you've had a successful year? It's interesting, there was a survey done uh, in a a sales and marketing newsletter uh, among executives, and the survey asked them to describe what success meant to them personally. And basically, their responses fell into four categories. First of all, the first group, success meant owning material possessions, such as houses and cars, airplanes, The second group defines success as experiencing particular feelings. Um, For instance, they might strive to feel satisfied or, or happy or content. The third group saw success as achieving goals. To them, success was a process of getting from one point to the next. They set goals, achieved them, and then set new goals. And the fourth group believed that success related to their personal mission. They said that each of us has some mission in life. Success to them meant finding and fulfilling their mission. People who define success in terms of fulfilling a mission usually are the happiest people in the world. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you like to be successful as a follower of Christ this coming year? Now, a lot of people say, well, how do you measure that? How do I know if I've been successful? Because a lot of times there's nothing you can put on a chart. You can't measure it numerically. And it's not like when you, you can measure your growth as a child over the years. You, you can't really see it. So how do you know when you're having a successful year as a follower of Christ? I believe this text shows us, Paul prays for the Colossian church, and he says, this is what I'm praying will happen for you, and if this happens in you, you can rest assured that God will not only use you, but you're going to have a successful year following him. Now, I called your attention to the first three verses, the first three words, excuse me, for this reason. I told you that he got a good report from the church at Colossae, and Paul says, for this reason, I continue to pray for you. Now, that's an interesting thought. Most of the time, when we have prayer for people, it's because they're going through difficult times. And there's nothing wrong with that. We ask people to pray for us when we need physical healing. We ask people to pray for us when we're going through a family crisis or there's been a death in the family or some kind of trial. And most of the time when we have prayer requests, we start listing these kinds of people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Paul's saying here, I've gotten a good report from you. And for this reason, I'm going to pray for you all the more. 
Have you ever thought about that? Because sometimes we need to be praying for people who have the most potential for expanding God's cause in the world because Satan is going to attack them the most. And so even those things are going well for people, even though they're going well for people that in your life that are leading and, and you're following or, 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 or teaching or whatever, you need to pray for them all the more. And so his prayer was for God's guidance in that church and for each believer. The problem that was happening at this time, that, that some there were coming out of paganism, they were bringing some of their pagan practices, and then you had some coming out of the Jewish legalism, bringing in some of their legalism, and they were trying to mix it all with Christianity, and it became an inferior kind of Christianity. And Paul says, I'm going to pray all the more for you that these characteristics, these keys are going to happen in your life. And so I call them the keys to a successful year the first key would be focusing on God's purpose. In verse 9, he says, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The word filled here means to be completely full. Y'all have been filled this week with lots of food, I'm sure. To be completely full, to be filled to the brim. To, but with a certain kind of knowledge, the knowledge of God's will. Now, folks, religious knowledge and the knowledge of God's will are not always synonymous because there's a lot of religious knowledge in this world today that is directly contradicting what God would have us do. A lot of it is damaging to Christianity. Christianity is being attacked because of religious knowledge. But Paul is speaking of a particular kind of will. God's will. If you love your spouse, you try to find out what he or she wants and makes them happy, and you do everything you can to try to make them happy. You love your children, you find out what they need, you do all that you can to provide for them. But when you love the Lord, you find out what he wants, and you strive to live and to love and to serve him. Paul's basically saying, my prayer is that you'll find what God wants you to do so that you will live like God wants you to live. Now, Paul wants the Colossians to be totally controlled by knowledge. You'll see, he, I want you to be filled with the knowledge. It's, a, it's really not the normal word for knowledge. He, he puts a, a qualifier on it. He says, I really want you to have a deeper knowledge of what God wants you to do. Not just surface. I wanted you to go deep. I want you to have an understanding of what God's will is for your life. Many people pray not to find God's will, but they pray to get his approval of their own will. Now, if you really want to know what God wants you to do, first of all, you're going to have to read his word to know. And you're also going to have to be in prayer for strength to do what he wants you to do. If there's sin in your life, you need to repent of that and turn from it and, and claim 1 John 1, 9 and say, God, I ask you to forgive me. And, and he says he will. You, you want your speech, your dress, your time, your thoughts, your actions, everything to be in his will. And he qualifies this with two words, wisdom and understanding. Now, these words are very similar in meaning. The word Sophia in all wisdom means applying the knowledge of God's will to life situations. 
I'm facing this situation in life. What does God's word, what does God's will have to say about that? You understand it. Oh, I know what the scripture says. I'm facing this in my life. I need to apply this to my situation in life. And then the word understanding could be a more specialized term, applying it to everyday life. Knowledge, for example, as a believer in Christ, you're told to not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. So as a, as a young person, those of you who are listening in the venue today, you know already that it's God's will for you to marry another Christian if you're a Christian. You already know that. So that's the knowledge, the understanding would be. To, so what does that mean for me now? It means I don't need to date somebody who's not a Christian. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, you're going to apply that to your life in a deeper way. And these two words are spiritual terms, and they deal in the non-physical realm. They have the Holy Spirit as their source. You see, God's put his spirit in you to guide you in this, to help you understand, to help you know what God wants you to do. I believe the main message for the life of a Christian is to know God's truth. Because as you know God's truth and knowledge indicates how you're, uh, will dictate how you're going to live. In fact, the longest chapter in all the Bible is which one? Don't you love to hear people mumble? Psalms 119. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. And did you know that all 176 verses, with the exception of two or three, spell out God's absolutes? They use words like statutes and laws and ordinances and commands or word. It's all about God's absolutes. It's about knowing what God said. It's about knowing God's truth. The problem we have today is the denial of any absolutes. See, a lot of people today don't think there is any absolute truth, that it's all relative. What's true for you may not be true for me, and what's true for me may not be true for you. It's all subjective. It's all how we feel. And now we're making laws in this land based on feelings instead of absolutes. Well, God's word is absolute, and without a source of authority, with any, without any kind of standard or source of authority, then anything goes. And that's why you see today the immorality and the, and the lack of moral absolutes in our societies because we've gotten away from any kind of moral authority and truth. But for the Christian, the, the, the word of God is the authority and these absolutes are based upon the truth about God. Now, folks, have you ever heard the term ignorance is bliss? Well, that's not true. Because ignorance is not bliss, nor can anyone please God on the basis of truth they do not know. So in order for you to live out what God wants you to live, you've got to know the truth. I'm afraid we're raising a generation, and I'm speaking in generalities, but we're raising a generation that's going to know how to praise and worship, but they're not going to know how to live because they don't know God's truth. 
This should be a great time to make a commitment to start reading your Bible this next year. All kinds of plans available, but just read it. Learn it. Understand what it says. So the first key is focusing on God's will. The second one is once you know that will, you've got to fulfill God's plan. Put it into practice. Knowledge should lead to wisdom, which is insight and understanding and the ability to practice it, it, to put it into practice. How Christ-like were you in 2018? And most of us would start saying, well, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And a lot of times our Christian walk is based on what we don't do. But in reality, it's, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is putting into practice what God's truth tells us to do. Functioning in God's plan and fulfilling God's plan is going to lead to a walk that's going to have several different characteristics. Notice them right quick. First of all, it says that you'll be fully pleasing to him. I call that an excellent walk. Live in a way that it's going to please the Lord. Live in a way that you're not going to be embarrassed if you know Jesus is walking right beside you. Where you go, how you speak, how you treat other people. Would you be embarrassed if the Lord appeared bodily beside you while you were going through that? You see, true holiness is doing God's will with a smile. It's fulfilling what God wants you to do. I want a walk that's pleasing to him, so I'm praying that you'd have a walk worthy, fully pleasing to him. Is there any area of your life where you'd be embarrassed if you knew the Lord knew? I hate to tell you, the Lord knows. <laughs> you just don't think about it, but he does know. But there's an, an, it's not only an excellent walk, it, it will be an effective walk. It says being fruitful in every good work. Now, bearing fruit is a metaphor that's used a lot in the Bible. In fact, it's used a lot to describe the Christian life. Jesus said in Luke 6, 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. You can tell a lot about a tree by its fruit. First of all, you can tell what kind of tree it is. That goes without saying but you can also tell how, how, how healthy the tree is by its fruit. If the tree's not growing fruit, it's dead. If the fruit is small, it's undernourished. If the fruit tastes bad, it's diseased. You can tell a lot about Christians by their fruit. In fact, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, love, kindness, patience, so forth. It, it, it comes out of us. You can tell a person by the way they live. And so when you're, you're finding, when you know how God wants you to live, you begin to live that way. None of us are perfect. Let's just get this out here. There's nobody perfect here. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. We're all growing in the Lord. We're all works in progress, but our work should show fruit. 
there should be some difference in you. If there's no difference in you here on December 30th than there was January 1st in your walk with the Lord, then something's wrong. There's no fruit that, that you can't see any maturing. You're not growing. Something's wrong. It's not easy to do things that we should do. It's hard. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to live a holy life. It's hard to resist, resist temptation. It's hard to sacrificially care for other people. That's why we need to pray for strength. And only God can give us that strength. But God has given you the strength to do it through the Holy Spirit. There is no telling what God can do through you this, this coming year. Some of you are going, well, God can't use me. Oh, yes, he can. In fact, the more he uses you, the more he gets the credit for it, especially if you say, God can't use me. I don't have any speaking ability. Listen, God uses a lot of people that don't have speaking ability. That's not the only requirement. I heard about two shoe salesmen who went to Africa to open up new territories. Three days after their arrival, the first salesman, this was a long time ago before cell phones, the first salesman sent a cablegram, said, I'm returning on the next plane, can't sell shoes here, everybody goes barefoot. Well, they didn't hear anything from the second salesman for about two weeks. Then a fat airmail envelope came in with this message from the home office that said, here are 500 orders, prospects are unlimited, nobody here wears shoes. <laughs> it just depends on how God will use you and how you look at the way you're going to allow God to use you. He's got something for you to do. You want to please him and you're going to bear fruit, but not only will our walk be excellent and effective, it's also going to be expanding. It's going to grow. Look, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. A child is an adult who's yet to grow up to full maturity. A child is going to become an adult if everything's normal. When you came to know Christ, you understood a few things. First of all, you understood enough about God to know that he loved you and that your sin had separated you from him and that you were on the road to hell and that God had provided a way to be saved so that you could go to heaven and be forgiven of your sin and you realized enough about Jesus that he came and lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross and God put your sin and my sin on him and that he died and that he rose again conquering death. You knew that or you couldn't have been saved, right? But isn't it sad that's where the knowledge of a lot of people, a lot of people's knowledge about God stops right there. They don't know anything else. You see, when you become a believer, you're like a newborn babe in Christ, a little baby. And that's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, he said, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, how do you know when you're growing? 
It'd be nice if we'd have marks or we'd get badges or something to let us know we're growing in the Lord. But the scripture tells us that as you begin to mature and grow in the Lord, that you're going to have a deeper love and appreciation for God's word. You want to know. There's going to be a a deeper, more perfect obedience. Not perfect is not the right word, but you're going to grow. In fact, 1 John 2 says now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. When we're growing and it's expanding, our faith begins to expand. We begin to trust him more. We begin to see how God's using and how he has used us. We see how God has delivered us. We begin to grow and our faith expands. There's still a greater love for other people. Philippians 1.9 says, and this I pray that you love, your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. You start expanding. There are some ways I hope to decrease this year. I've been expanding in the wrong ways. Why are y'all laughing? (laughs) There's always an expansion time between Christmas and New Year's, isn't there? Between, well, Thanksgiving, that's when we expand. There are some places I hope to decrease, but, but my knowledge and growth in the Lord is not one of them. That's where we're supposed to be expanding. We're supposed to be growing and, and learning more and more. And the more that you trust him, the more that you grow. So fo- folks, when you focus on God's purpose, you begin to live out his plan for your life. How are you going to do this? Well, verse 11 says that you're going to be fortified from his power. Look at verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. For every requirement that God has for you, he's going to give you the strength to do it. I'm going to say that again because that's worth you listening to. For every requirement that God has for you, he's given you the strength to do it through the Holy Spirit. You just got to allow it to happen. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say the temptations wouldn't be there. But if God leads you to do something, he's going to give you the strength to do it. And you say, wait a minute. This is out of my comfort zone. Well, welcome to Christianity. Because God uses people that normally say, I can't do anything. First Corinthians will tell you that God will take those that the world says, are, are, you just write them off. And God said, I will use these people because then my power is made perfect in their weakness and I get all the glory for it. God will give you the strength. God may be leading some of you to do something you've never done before. And you're going to have to do something you've never done before. And that's trust the Lord to give you the strength to do it. And the ability to do it. It says strengthen with all might. It's a present tense verb. He will continuously strengthen you with his might. And that word might 
his glorious power, his glorious might, kratos. It's used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 of those times it talks about God's power. It's usually referring to God's power. It's not your own strength. It's not positive thinking. God says, I'll give you the strength to do it. I will infuse the power for you to do it. The power available to us is only limited by God, and God is not limited. One man wrote last year, he said, when I called my parents to wish them a happy new year, I called my dad and I said, dad, what's your new year's resolution? And he said, to make your mother as happy as I can all year. Then mom got on and I said, mom, what's your resolution? She said, to see that your dad keeps his new year's resolution. (laughs) If God leads you to do something, he's going to see that you can do it if you will allow him to do it. God's power is manifested through us in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord told the disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Paul prayed for the Ephesians in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 16, that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And to the Romans, he wrote, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have God's spirit, his power in you. You're not God, but he gives you strength and power beyond your own ability. So you can live for the Lord this year. You can. But we come back to filling your tank. In a couple of days, there'll be the the Tournament of Roses Parade. A lot of you will watch that. One year in the Tournament of Roses Parade, there was this beautiful float that stopped right in the middle of the parade. It ran out of gas. The whole parade was held up until someone could get a can of gas and put in the vehicle that was under it, powering it. And what's amusing is that this float represented the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) Completely ran out of gas. And with its vast oil resources, its truck was out of gas. And sometimes Christians neglect their spiritual maintenance and they run out of gas. So your spiritual maintenance, again, is just simply reading some from God's word, simply asking God daily, Lord, would you give me the strength and power, assembling with other believers to gain strength and encouragement. There's got to be some spiritual maintenance to keep that power available in your life. I've saved the best for last. Because if you're going to have a successful year, You got to know God's purpose. You got to know what he wants you to do. You've got to fulfill his plan and you've got to have his strength and power. But if you're going to have a successful year, I call it, you need to flourish in God's provision because I want you to get this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to remember who you are and what you have from the Lord. Now, this ought to be, there ought to be an amen in here every now and then, okay? 
Because when you remember who you are and what Christ has done for you, first of all, you have been, this is my term, righteously ratified. Now look at verse 13, excuse me, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us as partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You've been qualified. Now, we don't reflect on this point very often, but we have an inheritance waiting on us. Several years ago, when Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, died, there were several websites that indicated that his net worth was $10.2 billion. Now, it would have been nice if I could have been part of that inheritance, but I did not qualify. And the reason I didn't qualify is because, first of all, I wasn't in the will. Second of all, I wasn't part of the family. And it's interesting that I could not even qualify myself to be part of that inheritance. Because qualified means to be able or authorized for a task. It means to be made sufficient or competent. But this verse says that God has qualified us for an inheritance. Now, you didn't qualify yourself. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You're not in the process of earning it. It was qualified. In fact, the way the verb tense is written, it means it happened at a point in time. When you repented of your sin, you turned from your sin, and you asked God to forgive you, and you placed your trust in Jesus Christ. You believe he died on the cross. You believe he rose again. You believe he trusted your life with Jesus Christ. You, you said, Lord, here's my life. If you're not the way to heaven, I'm not going. I commit my life to you. You didn't just pray a prayer. You made a commitment. Guess what? At that moment, God puts you in the will. He qualified you. He qualified you. You don't have to earn it. See, this next year... You don't have to earn your qualification to go to heaven. You've already been given it. That's who you are. Righteously, you have the righteousness of Jesus. First Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Some of you think heaven's going to be what you're doing right now, sitting through a long sermon for eternity. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That's not what heaven's going to be. Absolutely. You think God did a good job on earth the first time, and we've, we're the ones that marred it by sin. Can you imagine a new heaven and a new earth that hasn't been touched by sin? How amazing that's going to be. But you're not only qualified, ratified. You've been rescued. Look at verse 13. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You've been rescued. The power of darkness. The literal reading of delivered, it means to draw one to, to draw to oneself. That's what God has done. God reached down in the darkness and drew you to himself. 
He rescued you. He saved you. The scripture uses darkness to refer to lives without God. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks and how we put up lights at Christmas to reflect the light in the darkness. And, you know, and, and darkness is the absence of light and God is light. Jesus is the light of the world. Darkness, the people without God. Darkness is the domain of Satan. Hell is described as utter darkness. And yet God reached down in the darkness and put his light in you through Jesus Christ, delivered you from that. In fact, the people who are in darkness, they're under the power. They won't admit this. They're under the power and domain of Satan. Satan runs their life. They think they're free to do whatever they want, but he whispers into their conscience that they are not under any authority and that you can do anything you please. And so people today say, I don't need God. I don't need religion. I can do anything I want. It's because they're in darkness. They're slaves to sin. Ephesians 5, 7, and 8, therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You've got the light. You're not in darkness anymore. You've been rescued. Amen? You've also been redeemed. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Your salvation, even though it was a gift to you, came with a high price. You were a slave to sin. Redemption is a slavery word. A slave could not free themselves. They needed to be set free by someone else who could pay the price. There needed to be a way for sinful man to be able to approach a holy God without sin. And God's solution was to send Jesus Christ, whose sinless blood paid the ultimate price for our sin. The wages of sin is death. So for somebody to pay our price, they had to die. And Jesus died for you and me. We sing songs like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It covered my sin. He bought us. He redeemed us. He paid the price. You don't have to earn it. You can't buy it. You can receive it. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Somebody ought to write a song about that. <laughs> he paid it all. You've been redeemed. So think about it. You've been ratified. You've been qualified. for. You've been made righteous. You have been rescued from darkness. The price has been paid. But not only that, you have been released Verse 14 says, the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness comes from two Greek words, which means from to sin, to send from. And when God forgives you, guess what he does? He sends it away. He separates you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, why did he say that instead of north from south? Because you can stop going north 
and eventually be going south. But you can start east and you can never quit going east. Or if you start west, you'll never quit going west. There's no, there's no separation there. And he said, I've taken your sin. I've buried it in the deepest ocean. I have separated as far as the east from the west, Psalm 103, verse 12. I hold it against you no more. Did you hear what I said? All of the sin that you've ever committed, that I've committed, God has released us from it. So those of you who think you're going to spend this next year trying to make God love you more, make God forgive you more than he's already forgiven you in Jesus Christ, you are wasting your time. Because he loves you as much as he's ever loved you. He's forgiven you of your sin. He has released it from you. Now, now that I've been saved and I've been forgiven and I'm eternally secure and I've been qualified for an inheritance, I know that, you know, I I use this analogy. When I married my wife 40 years ago, I made a commitment of my life to her. Occasionally... About once every hour, I do something wrong. <laughs> and the fellowship, it's not that often, not usually. <laughs> She's not in this service. She'll be here next time. So I, I, I have to be a little more careful what I say. But seriously, when I offend her or I've sinned against her or whatever you want to call it, I don't have to be married again. I just need to renew the relationship. And so I, I apologize and ask her to forgive me. And we make up. And the fellowship is sweet again. But I'm still married. Always have been. When you receive Christ, you're his child. The sins have been forgiven. In your walk with the Lord, you make a mistake. That's why he put First John 1, 9 in the Bible. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You renew the relationship. And so today, if you're going to have a successful year as a believer, you first of all have to be one. You've got to know Jesus. And I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about having a relationship with God. And you can do that this morning. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. You've just got to know Jesus. And for those of us who know the Lord, yeah, we look back and say, you know, I wish I had a do-over on a few things, but guess what? God says, I'll give you another chance. Ask him to forgive you. Some of you, your commitment today ought to be, you know, Lord, I haven't been reading the Bible like I should have been reading it. And so here's the perfect time to start. And find a Bible reading. I, I, I don't suggest you start in Genesis and try to go all the way to Revelation. You need to get in the New Testament every now and then or you're going to drown about Leviticus. <laughs> Just read his word. Maybe you do nothing but do this. You know what? There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. Enough one every day of the month. 
Read a psalm and a Proverbs every day. Do something. Do something to start learning more about what the Lord wants you to do. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.